the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it. For their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose, but Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. And he paid the fare and he went on board to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. And there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship threatened to break up. Let's pray. Father, would you help us as we come to these brief words this morning, as we consider this strange story that you have given to us. I pray that you would help our familiarity with parts of this story. Help that not keep us from the significance here, from the powerful and beautiful message of this book. We come needy. We come needing your help not only to understand these words, but more than that, to be changed by them. To have the humility to receive them in a way that transforms our lives. So would you give that to us this morning in our time? We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, last Sunday night, I drove down uh, to Lakeland, Florida for a family funeral, and I drove to my grandparents' home. And it is a drive that I have made many, many, many times in my life. My grandparents have lived at that home since I was born. But on Sunday, I still needed my phone to tell me how to get there. Because I am a directionally challenged person. (laughs) Just honest confession this morning. I struggle with getting lost. I easily forget how the way to places that I've been numerous times. I am directionally challenged, and so I love the book of Jonah, because it is a book for directionally challenged people. (laughs) But the problem with directions here in the book of Jonah is, is a little bit different from my struggle with directions. Because God comes to Jonah and he says, get up and go east. Jonah gets up and goes west. And and in fact, he tries to get to Tarshish, which from an ancient Jewish perspective was as far west as you could go. It was the western end of the world. From, From their perspective, that's where the world just stopped. So Jonah, having been told to go east, goes as far west as he can. And what we learn about Jonah's struggle with directions is that it is not a case of bad intuition. It's not a case of a bad memory. Jonah struggles with directions because of his choices, because of his character. And you see that not only in his actions, but also in his name. The word Jonah is the word for dove. And the word had come to mean silly, foolish. It referred to someone who who struggled to go in the right direction. That was Jonah's name, and we see his name played out in his life. What I want you to see this morning 
as we begin our time in this book is that we share Jonah's name. And we share his struggle. You see, this book is a comedy. We're supposed to laugh at it. But, but it's one of those jokes that you laugh at it and then you say, that's funny because it's true. And it's funny because it's true of me. That's the, the joke of the book of Jonah. It is true of all of us. Which is not a particularly flattering thing to hear, is it? But I want you to see as we consider this text this morning that that is a good thing. Because, yes, like Jonah, we are lost. But also, like Jonah, we can be found. So lost and found. First of all, lost. Jonah... As, as he runs here, it's interesting uh, the way that this happens. And, and we need to notice, first of all, differences. We needed to notice that there are a lot of ways that we are not like Jonah. Jonah was an ancient Israelite, and more than that, he was an ancient Israelite prophet. And the prophet's job was to receive and communicate a direct message from God. Usually it was a message to God's people, but in Jonah's case, which was unique but not unprecedented, it was a message to the Gentile city of Nineveh, the capital of the Assyrian Empire. So God comes to Jonah, the word of God comes to Jonah, and he says, Jonah, it's time to make the donuts. It's time to do your job. It is time to fulfill your calling. And Jonah runs. So in a sense, Jonah flees from his vocation. He runs from his job, and, and it's a job that we don't share. No one in this room is an ancient Israelite prophet. We don't share the vocation of Jonah, so are we off the hook? Are we not like Jonah? Well, no. Notice how the text describes Jonah's flight. Twice in verse 3, it, said, it says he flees to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So Jonah, res- Jonah runs in response to the call of God. But what he's actually doing, the text tells us, is he is running not from the call, but pr- from the presence of God. He is running from the presence of of the Lord. Now understand, this isn't the presence of God in the sense that God is everywhere, which is true. This is the presence of God as the Bible talks about the special way that God dwells with His people. It's the presence of God that led Israel out of Egypt. It's the presence of God that descended on the tabernacle and the temple so that He could live with His people. And at the heart of the Bible's message, is that little word, with. We are made to live with God, before His face, in His blessed presence. And that's what Jonah was running from. He was running from the word, with. And that's why we are like Him. 
Because Jonah here enacts the essence of what we call sin. You see, sin is not just disobedience. It's not just breaking the rules. Sin, at a much more basic level, is our attempt to distance ourselves from our deepest need, which is God and His life-giving presence. That's what sin is. It is running from the presence of God, and we are all born with the impulse to run. We are all born with the impulse to find the belonging that we were made for, to find that belonging in someone or something other than our maker. We're like the baby bird in the children's book by P.D. Eastman. Baby bird falls out of the nest. I'm reading this to my daughter multiple times now, so this is why it's in my mind. Baby bird falls out of the nest and can't find his mother. And so he goes from animal to animal. He goes to the kitten and he goes to the, to the chicken and he goes to the dog and he asks a question. He says, are you my mother? Are you my mother? Are you my mother? Listen, that is a parable for how we live. We go from thing to thing, to job, accomplishments, to money, to fun, to relationships, all good things. But we ask them the wrong question. We, in a sense, ask them, are you my mother? Can you give me the belonging that I was made for? Can you give me what only God and his presence can give me? That is the heart of sin. That is why we struggle with anger. That's why we struggle with lust. That's why we struggle with greed. Because we are running from the life-giving presence of God. And we do that because we do not trust that His presence is truly good. You notice that the text doesn't give us the motivation for why Jonah ran? The story is told in a really interesting way and it holds his motivation to the very end of the story. And I don't want to ruin the surprise, but I will say that Jonah's struggle is not with his vocation. It is with the character of God. Jonah was struggling to trust that God was just and good. And that's why he ran. And that's why we run. Because we struggle to trust that God is wise, that he is just, and that he is good. We sang it last week. Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. We are like Jonah, lost. And I know that's not a fun thing to hear on a Sunday morning. I know that you don't enjoy me saying to you, you are lost. Your impulse is to run from what you most deeply need. But let me again say that it is good for you to hear it. Because like Jonah, we are not only lost, but like Jonah, we can be found. The opening of this text gives us more to the name of Jonah. It says that he is Jonah, the son of Amittai. 
Amatai means my truth. Now we use the word truth to refer to a factual statement. That's not what this word means. This word means something more like trustworthy, loyal, committed, faithful. Son of my faithfulness. Actually, our modern English word truth comes from the older English word troth or troth, as when people are betrothed to be married. And in the old Anglican marriage vows, the husband and wife would say to one another, I plight thee my troth. (laughs) I give you my truth. I give you my loyal, faithful, committed love. And that is what God had done with His people when He made a covenant with them. He had come to His people and He had said, I plight thee my troth. I am yours, you are mine. I am giving to you my faithful, steadfast, unchanging, loyal love. And Jonah was the son of that. He was the son of God's faithfulness. He was a son of the covenant. And so, when Jonah ran, God ran after him. Verse 4, The Lord hurled a storm on the sea. Understand, this storm, this is not mere punishment. This is pursuit. God is running after Jonah. This is not an expression of hate. It is an expression of love. God is chasing His Son down. Because His Son is running from what is best for Him. And you can see that in that chapter 3 verse 1 repeats chapter 1 verse 1. So after the storm, what happens? The very same thing that happens at the beginning of the book. The word of the Lord comes to Jonah a second time. God is saying, Jonah, you are mine. And I will not let you go. I will pursue you in mercy. I will pursue you, even though it is painful, with grace. I will chase you down. Why? Because you're the son of Amittai. You are the son of my faithfulness. Now what does that have to do with us? How can we say that we are found in the way that Jonah was found? Well, remember I mentioned that Jesus connected himself to Jonah? And as we go through this, this, this series, we will talk more and more about what that means for Jesus and His work to be the sign of Jonah. But I want you to notice here at the beginning that Jesus is different than Jonah because Jesus doesn't run. Jonah ran, but Jesus doesn't run. Jesus was commissioned by His Father. He was commissioned with a message, but He was commissioned not only with a message. He was commissioned with the cross. He was commissioned with pain and suffering on our behalf. And Jesus didn't run. He didn't run from His calling. 
And even in his innocence, he was taken out of Jerusalem, the city of God's presence. And he was hung on a cross and he cried out on the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But Jesus stayed. He did not run. He stayed on the cross. Why? So that he could make us sons and daughters of Amittai. Jesus' blood is the blood of a new covenant where He takes us, Jonah's, foolish, flighty, and sinful and rebellious, He takes us and He makes us the sons and daughters of God's faithfulness. The sons and daughters of God's committed, steadfast, everlasting love and mercy. You see, in Jesus... God's mercy outruns your sin. Jonah could not outrun God, and neither can you. And I remember hearing that message growing up. You can't outrun God, and I remember being scared of it. But that's not the biblical message. The biblical message is you cannot outrun God, and if you are in Jesus, that means you cannot outrun His mercy. You cannot outrun His forgiveness. And I know some of you are sitting here and it is not hard for me to convince you that you are lost. But can you hear that in Jesus you are found? That even in your persistent struggles with sin, God's mercy chases you down. The reach of His grace goes so much further than you think. The reach of His grace goes so much further than you can even imagine. So remember our baby bird? He's going from animal to animal asking, are you my mother? And, and finally he moves from animals to machines and he asks this old broken down car, are you my mother? And he goes to a boat and he says, are you my mother? And the, the, his search, his journey leads him finally to an excavator. This massive digging machine. And the baby bird comes up to the digging machine and he says, Are you my mother? And the machine snorts in response. But then the arm of the machine with its shovel comes and it picks the bird up. And it lifts him up and it drops him in the nest where he belongs. That's God's work in our life. That is God's work through His Son, Jesus Christ, again and again, His shovel of grace reaches out and lifts us and returns us home. Returns us to the life-giving presence of our Father. Yes, you struggle with sin. God's mercy is bigger. God's mercy goes further. Yes, we share Jonah's dove-like character. Foolish and rebellious. But there's more to that. It's interesting. Doves take on a greater significance in the Bible because of their appearance at some important moments in the story of Scripture. So, for example, in Genesis, the flood, this expression of God's judgment that's in the press a lot these days, and, and maybe you remember, how does Noah know that it is time to leave the ark, the ship that he has made, and begin life anew on the earth? 
he sends out a series of doves, right? And when the last dove doesn't return, he knows God's judgment is done. We can begin life anew. So the dove means more than just silly. It begins to take on the significance as a symbol for God's mercy that extends beyond judgment. A symbol of new life. And so it's not surprising when Jesus, at the beginning of his ministry, is baptized and he comes out of the water, the flood. What happens? Maybe you remember what happens. The Spirit of God descends on him. And how does the Spirit of God descend on him? In the form of a dove. So the dove is not just a silly animal. It is a symbol of God's commitment to be with us. It is a sign of His deep, eternal love and mercy that He extends to us in His Son, Jesus. So yes, as we read this book, we'll hear connections to our struggles. We'll hear connections to our tendency to get lost. But because of Jesus, as we hear this book together, at a deeper level, we hear the story of how in Jesus we are eternally found. Let's pray.